on the podcast, I have Eric Fusen. You may know him, but it depends on what context you know him under. If you follow competition shooting, well, he shoots for Wilson Combat. If you follow dry fire, you may know him from Cool Fire. That's actually where I ran into him at SHOT Show is at the Cool Fire booth. But he left Cool Fire and now he's doing training. I mean, that's really his passion is training. And if you're local to the Oklahoma area, and, you know, I say Oklahoma area, like Oklahoma is like a city, but no, if you're in Oklahoma, you may know him from, well, doing some training. You may have taken a training class from him. So today we're going to talk about firearms training. But before we do, let's pay the bills. And today's episode is brought to you by Wiley X. Now, if you've seen any of my videos, you know I wear glasses. And one of the problems I have is getting shooting glasses with my prescription in them. It's not impossible. You can get them. They get expensive. And quite frankly, they're not all that cool, right? I mean, you know, you have the really cool blue mirrored and stuff like that. I'd love to have those, but it's just too expensive. So I started using Wiley X glasses, all right? So if you've seen my videos, you'll know that I use the Rogue. Well, why not, right? It's got the name Rogue in it. How could I not shoot with Wiley X Rogues? But what's really important is that it has my insert right in there for my prescription. Now, the cool thing about this insert is, well, it comes out. And then there are, I guess, three or four different frames this insert will go into, not just the Rogue. If you'd like to see the work I've done with Wiley X, check it out at www.trb.fyi slash Wiley X. That's W-I-X. L-E-Y-X. With the bills paid, let's talk to Eric. Eric, tell me about your love of guns. My name is Eric Fusen. I've been in the firearms industry for over 25 years now, and I've been involved with law enforcement, but my real passion has been firearms training. I've been in the retail side. I've owned my own business. I've co-owned gun ranges uh, and competition. I've been a pro shooter for Wilson Combat since 2006, and I've been a lead member of the instructor cadre with the Defensive Shooting Academy in Tulsa, Oklahoma since 2004. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to train along with and train some of the finest human beings on the planet, everything from somebody who's never seen a firearm before all the way up to uh, Navy SEALs and other special forces and SWAT team members. So it's been it, it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to do that for as many years as I have. That's awesome because, you know, today we're going to be talking about firearms training. And, you know, we met down at SHOT Show. We got talking at the at the booth there and it was just kind of really nice to to talk to you and say, hey, look, you know, I'd like to have you on and talk about firearms training because you have this big, diverse background. Um, would you mind talking to the audience about why it's important to train with your firearm? Yeah, well, you know, I think 
it's almost like some people get ingrained in their mind that just the mere presence of a firearm somehow makes them uh, capable of using it in a self-defense situation. Um, I, I can't count the number of people, even law enforcement that I've trained that say, no, 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 I qualify every year. I'm good enough. Or I took my concealed carry course. So that means I'm competent and qualified to carry my firearm. And, you know, I tell people, listen, that's kind of like putting paint and a paintbrush on a piece of paper and expecting a masterpiece when you come back. Yeah. Uh, they're so far apart. The act of just the basic fundamentals of marksmanship which most instructors dwell on is just the first step of a marathon and learning how to use a firearm effectively in self-defense. I am glad you brought up the whole concealed carry because, you know, I, it's one of the things that kind of annoys me about concealed carry classes. Um, you know, you, there, there are good ones and there's bad ones, right? Um, I've seen bad ones that are like three hours, including trigger time. And I'm like, if somebody has never handled a firearm before, that's really not enough time. I mean, sure, you're getting the basics. Um, you know, when my wife and I got our concealed carry permits, you know, we went through our class. We actually went through a, a, a really good instructor. Uh, he was uh, Montana Highway Patrol. He's retired from there, and he was an instructor. And, uh, gosh, it was like six days, uh, mostly in the evenings. And then, um, gosh, I think we had about five or six hours of range time um, when we were done. And even though that we went through our class, we every once in a while, we just take another class because, you know, it's good to hear the opinion of another instructor and not to mention, well, we have perishable skills, right? Shooting is a perishable skill. Absolutely. I mean, sure, sure, we go out and we train with our guns and we shoot and we, we enjoy, you know, shooting at the range and shooting steel. But sometimes you just need to sit down and talk to, you know, someone else and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Is this still kind of valid or am I getting lazy? Um, would you mind asking, you know, or would you mind answering a question for me about why should somebody consider a professional instructor over, I don't know, like, you know, the guy across the street has been shooting for 40 years or, or, or says they're a good shooter. Sure. Well, and a lot of people mistake usage and familiarity with mastery and they, they really have nothing to do with each other. I was a self-taught shooter. Um, I grew up with firearms. I was shooting rifles by the time I was, you know, five and six years old. I was hunting on my own small game by the time I was seven or eight years old. Uh, so I grew up around firearms. My dad gave me the safety uh, uh, side of, of firearms training, but the marksmanship I pretty much taught myself. And when I got into law enforcement, started shooting handgun a lot more. Um, once again, self-trained because what I learned at the police department, um, they just tell me what not to do, what to do. Yeah. And, you know, I, I felt I was a fairly proficient shooter. I mean, when I went to the range and I shot my qualifications, I was uh, always towards the top of the department. You know, I oftentimes would shoot a 100% on the Oklahoma cleat qualification target. So, you know, I thought I had taught myself well. Uh, it really wasn't until I got into competition that I realized how much higher skill set some of those guys had versus me, a supposed professional who's carried a gun every day. And, you know, the 
the ego in me says, well, you know, I can just practice and I can get that good. And a couple of years into it, and I'm a mid-level competitor, maybe sharpshooter level in IDPA. And all these masterclass shooters are still just absolutely shooting circles around me. I finally broke down and said, okay, guys, how did you learn to do this? And they sent me to uh, Marshall Luton, who's a Tulsa police officer who owns the Defensive Shooting Academy. And they said, go see this guy because he will get you squared away in the fundamentals. And when I went to my first TDSA Advanced Combat Pistol Level 1 school, um, I realized what I didn't know. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. And there was so much that I didn't know. My technique that I had ingrained literally tens of thousands of shots into was wrong. And, and I say wrong because once I tried their technique and I started practicing that technique, my skill set enhanced so much that in competition, I practiced what I learned for three months and I went and I shot two state championships back to back. I won the first one and I advanced from sharpshooter to expert. And then nine days later, I went and shot another state championship, that one in Arizona. And I won that one and advanced from expert to master. So I went from sharpshooter that I'd been for two years to master in nine days just by seeking out professional instruction from somebody who knew how to diagnose me as a shooter and how to explain how to correct what I was doing into a way that was more efficient and it's kind of like any other sport you do, whether you want to be in golf or whether you want to be in whatever, you're going to pick somebody who's going to help you pick the right equipment. You're going to pick somebody who is going to help you be the best at whatever sport or event or whatever you're trying to do. It's the shortcut to success. So picking out a good professional instructor, not Joe Bob because he grew up shooting in the backyard of pop can, <laughs> is going to be that shortcut to you being able to successfully manipulate your firearm much more quickly and much more effectively. See, I, I love I, I love that story there, talking about how you you started shooting. I, I started shooting when I was around uh, seven or eight. Um, my father taught me because his father and uncles taught him and you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I, I was a good shot. I didn't start competing until I was twenty one. When I was 21, I went down and I bought a Glock. And um, in that in that Tupperware, you know, in the Glock Tupperware was a card for GSSF. That's how I started shooting. Um, okay, I'm like, this this would be really cool. And then I, I'm like, I'm a good shot. You know, I know how to shoot. And even though GSSF is nowhere, IDPA, USPSA, and all that stuff that I've shot later, it was a good introduction, right? So that way you can understand the targets. And I got there and I'm like, all right, this is really fun, but you know, I get the results back and I'm just like, wow, I'm nowhere near as good as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I remember, um, I got my father hooked on GSSF. Um, so he shot a couple of GSSF matches with, with, with me. And, um, I remember him, he's just like, wow, uh, there are some really good shooters here. I'm like, yeah, just think, you know, this is not Bianchi Cup. This is not IDPA. Um, this is none of the big ones. And that kind of led us to train more, right? Shoot more, work on technique and things like that. And I know when we talked on the phone, I told you about when I first got a Glock 26, right? My father and I both got Glock 26s right when Glock released them. So 
at the time we were living in Maryland and we waited our waiting period and rosters, you know, get them on the roster and all that stuff. And then, um, you know, I told you a story about, we took them to the range and we couldn't hit the broad side of the barn with these, <laughs> these Glock 26s, right? I mean, we could hit the paper, but that we couldn't get any measure of accuracy. And one of the ROs, she, she's a really big, um, it's Ipsic shooter. And she goes, Oh, this is one of those new Glock 26s. We're like, yeah. She goes, do you mind if I shoot it? We're like, yeah, but, you know, we think the sights are off and, you know, we, and she picked it up and just started nailing the X-ring with it. I remember looking at my father and I remember his face looking back at me and we're just like, holy crap. Yeah, it's definitely not the gun. It's definitely the shooter. And that's really where we started taking classes, right? Learning from, you know, someone who actually knows this stuff. Um, as good as we, as good as shooters we were, we were nowhere near you know, I, I would, we were competent, right? But that's when we started looking at professional instructors. Now, when someone's looking for a professional instructor, what should they look for in that instructor? Well, you know, reviews and talking to students is always important. Uh, with the Defensive Shooting Academy, where I'm an instructor, we ask every one of our students, we give them free access to post online their experience with our training. So we literally have page after page after page, literally hundreds of pages of student testimonials about what they learned in our different classes. If your instructor is not comfortable in posting what the students believe about their training, that's always a question. You would want to know why. Now, obviously, they're not going to give out client information for you to call them sure. directly, but if they volunteer to post their experiences with your training for people to read. That's always good. And then, you, you know, do your research. There's a ton of internet research for a lot of people. There's a lot of reputable training companies that will have all the information that you could possibly ever want to know. And then I always personally look for firearms instructors who are still actively taking other people's classes. There's especially in law enforcement. There's so many law enforcement instructors that I've run across that took their firearms instruction training 25, 30 years ago, and that's the last instructor training they took. They were they're shooting way. cup and saucer still. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's still somebody out there hooking the thumb in the belt and using one hand turned sideways bladed to the target bullseye style <laughs> because that's the way they were taught, right? Well, everything yeah. evolves, and firearms instruction is absolutely no different. My theory on firearms instruction whenever I'm taking classes from other instructors is if you find a way to do it better or say it better than what I do, if there is a technique that is just more efficient than what I'm using, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal it from you. I'm going to start using it tomorrow, and I'll give you the credit. I'll tell people, I learned this from so-and-so. And the reason why I teach it is because it has worked the best for me. And I would like for you to try it to see if it helps you. Because the most, as the firearms instruction evolves, instructors need to evolve with it to make sure that they're teaching the most um, efficient technique to their students. You see, and that's what I like uh, about what you said there, because learning, it doesn't matter what you learn in, your, things are always evolving. Right. Um, you know, we start learning new tech, new techniques come out. I mean, the firearms really haven't changed that much. Right. I mean, sure. There's 
slightly different ways of doing things now than there was the 50s, but the basics of the firearm is still there. But technique changes. And that's the, the really kind of cool thing about learning from different instructors. I mean, that's why I go back to my wife and I will take it. We'll, you know, every couple of years, we'll just take a class mm -hmm. um, just because something may have changed or there's a different um, like, you know, like you said, somebody may be able to say something better. Right. And get that through. And that's kind of the important thing for me when I look for an instructor. I mean, back when my father and I were looking for instructors, well, the Internet wasn't a thing. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we just, we just went, okay, um, you know, we know you shoot, I, you know, IDPA, you're a good shot. Would you teach us? And she's like, yeah, no. Um, but let me recommend someone who, who helped me out. And that's the kind of greatest thing about our sport, right? I mean, it, we'll offer help to anybody. Um, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, uh, where'd you learn this? This is where I learned it. You know, this is who I learned it from. You might want to take their class. Um, that's what I love about this sport. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, one of the things I've noticed that is pretty interesting, there are some people out there who are just naturally gifted in shooting, whether it's yes. rifle or shotgun. They never had to learn how because they just picked it up and it just came so natural. And I have been to some classes with some phenomenal shooters, both pistol and rifle, that couldn't teach their way out of a brown paper sack. They couldn't yeah. teach you how to do what they do because they just did it naturally and they never had to learn how. And I think one of the things that I really kind of do appreciate being a self-taught shooter was that I had to unlearn all of those bad habits that I had taught myself and relearn good habits. Now, that was a very costly uh, mistake on my part because, you know, for the first four or five years after I learned my new habits, I was shooting 30,000, 40,000 rounds a year through a handgun. And man, I would really hate to see what that would cost with today's prices. You know, <laughs> forty cents a forty cents around for nine millimeter right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just because somebody's a great shooter doesn't necessarily mean they're a great instructor. Because you don't go to a class to learn about how good the instructor is. You go to a class to see how good of a shooter and how much of your skills that that instructor can can in part upon you so that you can perform on demand. Yeah. I, and you know, it's, it's funny while you were talking there, I was thinking about, um, I used to be an FFL and I remember, I remember one of my customers telling me about trying to teach his daughter how to shoot. Right now his daughter's a Southpaw. So she's a lefty. He's not a lefty. And it was not working for him because he's sitting there with her left-handed gun trying to shoot it and, you know, trying to reverse everything. And eventually he found an, a left-handed instructor. Sure. And he's just like, I remember just sitting there talking to him when he was, when he was picking up a gun and just like, he was telling me about this. I'm like, you know, you know when I grew up, my sister, she's, she's left-handed. And, you know, we both learned how to shoot from my father and, and I remember her going to the range and I remember seeing things like that from my father because he's trying to figure out how a left-handed person shoots. Sure. And um, it's definitely finding the instructor. You know, sure, my dad was a great instructor, right? I mean, wasn't the greatest, but hey, it got me through my childhood. I was pretty good until I learned what and we both learned together exactly how good we weren't. 
but he still got the fundamentals down. It was really good to get the fundamentals, but looking at, you know, looking back on my past, watch, you know, I, I, I still remember the shooting sessions with, with that. And man, it's, you know, getting someone who can get that across because teaching somebody, Hey, I can shoot this way, but I can't shoot this way. Uh, let me try to, that's not the right way. Uh, that leads to frustration. I remember my sister getting frustrated. Um, and I think she does watch the podcast every once in a while. So I'm sorry, Karen, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not trying to pick on you. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it, getting the instructors who can talk. I mean, it's, it's not bad. Like before we signed up for the, our, our concealed carry class, uh, we knew we talked to the instructor, right? Cause I wanted to talk to him. Um, I ended up, luckily I ran into him, you know, at one of the gun stores. He just happened to be there buying some reloading supplies. And, you know, I was at the, I was at the counter asking about instructors and he just happened to be there. It was great to talk to him because I got a good feeling of what he was. Um, so yeah, definitely reviews. And if you can interview your, your instructor, because, you know, like I said, we've, we've taken classes afterwards. I've seen, I won't say bad instructors, but I've seen instructors in it for the money, right? I mean, sure. don't get me wrong. You're not going to be rich making instruction, but this was a guy who was highly credentialed. He uh, traveled around the country and taught classes. Uh, used to teach at one of the state law enforcement academies. And when we got there, it was it was kind of a miserable experience, right? Because you have... 30, there was, there was uh, three instructors, including himself, and there was 30 shooters. So that's one instructor for 10 people. And we were standing just about shoulder to shoulder to try to fit everybody into the bay to learn how to shoot. And then, you know, they're going through instruction and, you know, they're purposely making you run your gun dry. So that way, you know, you work on your reloads. And I remember seeing that because my wife was to my left, she was at the, she was the first person in the line because she's a cross draw. So, you know, she needs to be able to, to draw and not flag anybody as she's drawing. Right. Now she's shooting a, a single stack uh, Beretta Cheetah. So mm -hmm. it's a 380 with eight shots. I'm standing there with my SIG, who, you know, holds, I uh, shoot my 229, so what, 14 shots back mm -hmm. then. And then the you know, next guy to me is shooting in 1911 at eight shot or at seven shots. You know, everybody's got different um, capacities. Well, then what happens is everybody ran their magazines dry. You know, the single stack people ran their magazines dry, all their magazines dry way before the rest of us with, you know, standard capacities had them. Right. And, you know, they lost, they kind of lost control of the class because people literally walked away from the firing line because they were out of ammo. They had to go reload. Um, and those are s some things that scared me, right? I mean, that I, that's why I definitely learned to check out your instructor. Um, and later on, I found that instructor online. And if I had checked them out online, we would not have taken that class. Right. Just yeah, I, have, because I mean, that really people were complaining about this. 
Yeah, that really does go back to vetting, you know, with the, the age of the internet and all the information that's out there. You have to understand, you got to take the good with the bad. There's no so, there's such right. thing as one instructor that has 100% raving reviews from every student. Yep. I mean, it, it, it No matter how good a job you do, no matter how hard you try, there's always some people you just can't please. But, you know, you're looking, for, you're looking for the average. And if you see a consistent issue, like, I mean, we've all been to that class where you spend two days and $1,000 hearing the instructor talk about how great they are. And, yeah, and yeah nobody, it's about them. Nobody wants to do that, all right? No. So, you know, and if you do a little search online, you'll find through forums and, and places like that where people honestly and openly critique instructors and you'll be able to you'll be able to get a consensus about what the general says the general public says about a specific instructor or academy yeah i, you know, I couldn't have said that better because that's that's exactly what you said you, there are some people you can't you can't please i mean it's like looking at a review on amazon right, right. you don't not you don't not buy something because there's 10 one star reviews you start looking at you know why you know you, you get the te you get the one star review and it's like didn't work. Oh, great. That review was totally useless. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for helping yeah. me out. And yeah. you start reading through the reviews and then you start reading through the twos, threes, fours, you know, why is this thing really got, you know, you know, 1% one stars and 75% five stars. Well, why are the five, are these, these five stars, are they, you know, fans of the product or are they actually giving you a decent review? Right. Now, we, you know, we have instructors and like I said before, you know, shooting is a perishable skill. So we need to practice. Uh, I've shot at a lot of gun ranges on the East coast. Cause I'm originally from the East coast. I've shot at a few here in the West. What should people look for in a gun range? I mean, how do they choose an appropriate facility to shoot at? Well, when I built, when I come up with the policies for the first indoor range that I, I worked at, I, I knew what my pet peeves at other indoor ranges had been. Uh, you know, you've got indoor ranges where you can only fire one shot every two seconds. They're going to kick you out if you shoot any faster than that. You can't access a weapon from a holster. You know, unless you're a bullseye shooter, that doesn't really correlate into something that I can go and practice a skill set that I would use in a real-life situation or scenario. Competition or, or self-defense, either one. So, you know, why would I spend my money and go and practice places like that? Now, on the flip side of that, you can't have brand new people who've never fired a gun before, haven't even been given the basics, just wildly going out there and, and acting like uh, something they've seen on a, on a movie somewhere. So there's got to be a balance. So we did a vetting process at a range to where, you know, if you were a competitive shooter over a certain classification level, if you were bona fide law enforcement and you carried credentials, uh, and if you were none of those things, we had a very simple class that you could take that took about four hours to, to teach you to safely access the weapon from a holster and draw and shoot. Um, we gave people options. Um, at the range that I was at and the current indoor range that I'm at, we consider rapid fire shooting faster than you can hit your target. We watch the shooters, and if they're shooting faster than they can maintain accurate discipline hits on target, we're going to ask them to slow down and, and pay more attention to their sights and, and shoot their actual target, not miss and potentially damage the range or something. But I want to give people the ability with a shooting facility to practice to their skill set. 
not everybody's a beginning shooter and not everybody's an expert or a pro. So there's going to have to be different rules for different skill sets, depending on what type of person you have as a client or a customer. So ask if they have no nonsense rules about drawing from holster. What do they consider rapid fire? Do they have range safety officers on hand that are going to help police uh, the type of uh, shooters are going to show up at, at public use facilities? So you want to make sure that, you know, you get your questions answered before you start spending money on memberships and those types of things. Um, and oftentimes that'll be posted somewhere on a website with a, a rule page or something like that. Sometimes you just have to pick up the phone and call the facility and ask the questions. But I want some place that is going to have professional instructors on hand. So if I do get caught, I can hire them to help and will allow me to train to my skill set. Yeah, you know, I love the way that you're wording that because, you know, like I said, I've shot at a lot of ranges. Um, <laughs> and the, the story I like to tell, and it's sad that I have to tell this story because, you know, there was a range that my father and I went to go check out. You know, we were shooting partners and all that, and we shot together. And so we checked things out together. So there was a nice range. I mean, it was a really nice range. And... Um, so we decided to go there, check it out. And, uh, you know, we're standing behind the glass so you could see the, the firing line. And we're just like, okay, you know, it's a nice range. Got some nice facilities. And then we saw <laughs> we saw an individual pull up a pistol grip shotgun with no stock, right? And do this. Mm. Yeah, right? So, so we, are, <laughs> we are pounding on that glass, right? Because we know what's coming next. Of course, it's stupid because, you know, he's not going to hear. He's got his hearing protection on other people shooting. Right. He squeezed that trigger and he turned around with a bloody mouth and at least one missing tooth. And I looked at my father. He looked at me and we're like, no, <laughs> this is this is not this is not the range for us. Sure. It's a shame because it was it was a nice range. Um we eventually, you know, we've been through the whole, uh, the one shot, the one range we were at, um, it was a state run range. Uh, it was one shot per second. Um, you know, if you get caught shooting more than one round per second, it was instant. You're out of here. Uh, no warning. You're gone. Uh, no more than eight rounds. Now, mind you, this is in the nineties. Um, this is pre, you know, assault weapon bands and all that stuff sure um eight rounds and we're like that's weird and then we realized it was for well m1 grants um the rules the rules for this range are old and they were once we started realizing the rules we're like we understood why why they were there um they just never updated them mm -hmm. and of course being state run what are you going to get a politician to change rules when let's face it we were in a state that didn't like guns anyway um, so yeah, we've been through those, those ranges like that. And then that led us to other places. We eventually found a place, uh, it was just outside of Baltimore. Like I said, we were living in Maryland at the time. Everybody had to go through a class. If you, if you wanted to shoot there, you had to have a membership. There was no hourlies. Um, there was an hourly after a membership, but you, everyone had to have a class and it was kind of nice for us because we knew, we knew that the person next to us at least had some level of education, right? Sure. Now, 
law enforcement and stuff like that, they weren't they weren't through the four hour class. It was a four hour class, like like you were talking about. You know, those other people, it was basically they they took them to the range and could they you know could they handle the gun correctly? Were they going to be safe? Yeah, okay, you're good. The rest of us, we took a class and you had a class. You even had to um, classify or not classify. You had to qualify on each type of gun, right? So, like, I remember my, my mother was shooting a revolver, um, and that's what she liked. Well, she wanted to shoot a semi-auto. She had to get checked out on the semi-auto. And that was really cool. As much as a pain as it was after seeing someone bash their teeth out with a shotgun, we were almost, like, happy to find a place. I mean, it was, it was a gorgeous range, great facilities. It was a little expensive, but... We didn't mind it, and what was nice about that was um, it was around the corner from my mom's work, so she used to go to lunch and go shooting. Um, and of course, that was way before ammo was stupid expensive. <laughs> um, it was, it was, a couple, was a couple decades ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's, that's what I, I like about checking out ranges. Um, I definitely tell everybody, go check out their range. Right? Sure. If you don't know what you're looking for, take someone with you. Yeah, it's right. so easy for ranges to set rules for the lowest common denominator. Uh, they set every rule for every shooter like they've never picked up a firearm before. Uh, yeah. Because th that's safe, right? You know, I mean, now everybody's going to abide by these same rules that uh, don't necessarily allow more experienced shooter to train to their skill set. It requires a lot more one-on-one interaction between staff and shooter if you do it other ways and allow people to train more to their skill set so a lot of ranges shy away from that simply because they either don't have the manpower they don't have the manpower with the proper experience or they just simply don't want to bother with it and you know maybe as a beginning shooter you'll be fine with that but i'm, I'm confident for most beginning shooters who are trying to improve their skill set they're gonna they're gonna grow tired of those rules very very soon well, and, yeah, it, exactly. I mean, you know, I grew up in ranges like that. It wasn't a big deal for me, you know, to put your gun down and all that stuff and, you know, pick it up from the tray, shoot it. And it, it didn't bother me at first, but then as I started progressing as a shooter, right, as I started going through competition shooting, that didn't work for me, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't work for me. And then one thing I'm thinking of right now is, you know, there's a great statistic that everyone loves to quote about, you know, going through the past couple of years with, you know, we had 5 million brand new first time gun owners, you know, and that's one thing that kind of scares me is that is I, I, I think it's great. Welcome to, welcome to the family. But I know that they're, they bought their gun. They got, they bought their, you know, token box of ammo. They probably either never shot it or they've shot that box of ammo and that's it. You know, and then they've learned how to shoot it. You know, you, you talk to them like, why'd you buy it? Personal protection. Personal protection is not standing at the range with your gun on a tray in front of you, picking it up and shooting it, right? It's like, do you even know how to draw this firearm? You know, I don't care if it's from a holster or from a nightstand. Do you even know how to do that? Um, would you mind talking a little bit about technique? I mean, because technique does matter in shooting. We, whether you're doing, you know, competition shooting, recreation, recreation shooting, or just personal protection. I mean, technique's important. Absolutely. No matter what you're going to do with a firearm, you got to have a you got to have a a really firm grasp of the fundamentals of marksmanship here, because 
loud noises don't end gunfights, only well-placed bullets do. And to have well-placed bullets, you have to have the fundamentals of marksmanship, which are grip, stance, side alignment, trigger control, and follow-through. Now, if you're shooting precision rifle, I throw breathing in there. But in a self-defense shooting with a pistol, you're either going to hold your breath or you're going to breathe. If you hold your breath, you're only going to hold it for so long and you're going to breathe. It's going to take care of itself. Uh, for bullseye shooting, it's a different thing. I'm talking combat scenarios. Sure. So you can grip the gun in a way that allows your body to align the gun to your target before you ever see your sights. One of the things that we teach is kinesiology, kinesthetics, your body's natural alignment to a target and how you use that to your advantage. So stance, how you stand and how you hold your body will help you control recoil and allow you to be more mobile so that you can move in multiple directions. Uh, the difference between going to the range and shooting a single target stationary is that that stationary marksmanship practice and self-defense gunfights are all dynamic. You're going to be moving. The bad guy's going to be moving. You're shooting. The bad guy's going to be shooting. It's going to be chaotic. So a stance that allows you to maintain discipline with how you hold a gun and marksmanship, but still allow you the, the freedom and ability to move in any direction at any time. Side alignment. That's actually two parts. That sight picture and that side alignment. Um, a lot of instructors don't, they don't discern between the two. They say align your sights. Okay, well, your sights are always aligned. In my holster laying, laying on the desk, they're aligned. It's perfect. Now, sight picture is your sight alignment's relationship to the target. And that's where you have to start thinking about, you know, points of focus. Front sight, rear sight, target. What do you look at? How do you make sure that you actually get those sights aligned? I aim with my body and verify with my sights. So I teach people to aim with their body and verify with their sights when we're doing that. Trigger control, which is 85% of ability to put a bullet on target where you want it is, is the trigger. Most people think sight alignment is where it's at and it's not. It's trigger control. So we teach methods to control the trigger that will allow you to press the trigger without excessive side interruption, whether you're shooting one shot every five seconds or whether you're shooting three shots a second. How you grip the gun and how you control the trigger plays into how much control you have of the firearm and how much control of the firearm is what dictates how quickly you can put effective shots onto a target. So those fundamentals, uh, Lanny Basham, I don't know if you've ever read his book or yep. seen with William. Okay. He's got a quote that says that um, skill is predicated on mastery of the basics and the ability to perform them subconsciously. Uh, and simplified, that means you have to do this so much in your conscious mind that it programs your mind to perform things subconsciously. So when I'm in a match, if I have to draw, I don't think about the four steps of a draw process, you know, attack the gun, grip it, lift, meet in the middle, extend. It's just instantaneous. Yeah. It's been programmed into my subconscious. Target transitions, trigger control. I've done it so much that I programmed those things to happen automatically, just like breathing, just like a heartbeat. So if you take the fundamentals of marksmanship, grip, stance, side alignment, trigger control, follow through and you ingrain them into your conscious, from your conscious mind into your subconscious mind. When it comes time to use a firearm for self-defense, your brain can consciously think, what is the bad guy doing? What is he holding? What are my points of cover? What can I get behind here that will stop a bullet? What's my escape routes? 
Does he have friends? Are they moving around to flank me or get behind me? Now your conscious brain is opened up to actually take in the information of the situation that you're in, not controlling your firearm and how do I make an accurate shot? Yeah. So it's very, very crucial that you get your fundamentals of marksmanship ingrained. And the only way to do that is to learn a, a solid technique and practice that solid technique correctly regularly. So those are the things that you have to do. You have to have a solid technique. You have to practice that solid technique regularly. And then it will ingrain itself. The more often you do it, the, the faster you will ingrain those into your subconscious skill set. Yeah, I like how you say that because, you know, like me, I, I know how to grip a gun, right? Now, you know, you, you, know, you come up, punch, you, you do your punch out. Man, I, I was always taught you don't punch out. You, you kind of come out wide, and I know people can't see me. You, know, you kind of come out wide rather than from your chest out. I call that and, bold. And, bold yeah. <laughs> and what's so funny is that every once in a while, it, co it comes back on me, right? Right. I mean, that's, you know, you were talking earlier about you had to unlearn some bad habits. I had some bad habits. Um, you know, and it's one of those things is when I started learning about, about that, I argued the fact, right? Like I've done it this way for so long, right? I, I was one of those, I was one of those students, right? Right. And then, um, you know, working through, working through that, I understood, you know, they, I, I finally gave it a chance, right? So then I now have to consciously work on that. Um, sure. even though I'll do it. I consciously work on it because I know it comes back. I know it sneaks in every once in a while. Um, I can see it. You know, I do gun videos. I can see it every once in a while when I'm doing a gun video for someone where my technique is just not quite clean, right? And that shows you how powerful that subconscious is. Exactly. Once you've got it programmed, how powerful that subconscious is. You hear people say you rise to the level of your training. What they're talking about there is that what you've programmed that brain, that computer to do is what it does whenever it doesn't have time to think about something different. So, yeah, people say practice makes perfect. No, practice makes permanent. Yeah. There's a difference. And there's a total difference. Um, and I absolutely agree with that because you know, like I said, it, my technique gets a little sloppy every once in a while because I, uh, you know, for me, you know, I like the I like the saying of, you know, during a stress during stress, we don't we don't perform at our highest mastery of a concept. We perform at our lowest mastery of a concept. Yep. And for me, under you know, under stress, as long as I, if I'm not focusing, it comes back. You know, when I do competition shooting literally what's going through my mind before that buzzer goes off is grip the gun. I'm going through my whole draw. And, and that is going through my mind to make sure that I get a clean draw. I know, you know, when we talked a little bit um, offline, we talked the other day on the phone is I know under a defensive situation, I know that my draw is going to be a little sloppy. It might be a, it might be a combination <laughs> You know, instead of coming up, it might meet here instead of coming out, you know, the right. full bowling. But that's practice, right? I mean, the, those are things that I consciously work on. Um, now, since we're talking about technique, 
what are common mistakes that people make when they're when they're either practicing or they're 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 thinking about shooting? What do you see that people commonly make? Well, you know, the most common mistake that I see is is thinking that sight alignment or sight picture and trigger control are two separate entities of the marksmanship skill. Most instructors teach them because it's easier to teach them separately. This is how you align your sights. This is how that sight alignment correlates to your impact on target versus this is how you control the trigger. So when people shoot, they align their sight to the target and they check that box. Done. Now they control the trigger and they check that box. Done. Uh, and that's not the reality of sight alignment and trigger control. Those two, those two things are married. One affects the other. So every time you put another ounce of, of pressure on a trigger, it misaligns your sights just slightly. So you have to realign that to make up for the pressure that you're putting on the trigger. So I try to teach people how to align the sights with their trigger finger. And that's the most common thing to do. People will get their sight alignment. And since nobody holds a gun perfectly still, the second the front sight crosses the plane where they want the target to hit, they try to make the gun to go off that very instant. And sympathetic response, when you've got your right hand and you've got your trigger finger that moves, the faster that moves, the more response you get from the other three fingers. So if you're gripping that gun nice and firm and you're trying to press that trigger really, really fast, these fingers are going to do that too, which is going to misalign your sights. You know, I can't count the number of, of new shooters that come in and say, hey, can you adjust sights? Of course we can. Well, I'm shooting low and left. I said, okay, so you're a right-handed shooter. Yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> you know, yeah. And I've got a cool fire gun equipped, a little gun right here, and you can see the red barrel there. So the laser on the end of it, there's no way to introduce ammunition or cartridges to this. Just so I can show people some of that. A little bit of difference if i point this gun at, at the webcam and i put the front sight and the rear sight and the bone of my forearm in a straight line and i grip the gun with my right hand you'll see what the muzzle does now on the flip side of that if i put it in my support hand and i put the front sight the rear sight the bone of my forearm straight in line with the camera and i grip you can see that it doesn't steer the muzzle as i start to increase grip pressure like the strong hand does. So getting people to incorporate the support hand grip to control recoil and knowing that their dominant hand, which is what we want to use for everything, its only job is to control the trigger. Um, those two things, marrying sight picture, sight alignment and trigger control and gripping the gun with a proper tension from side to side, not front to back, two of the big, biggest mistakes I see with handgun shooting. Yeah, it's, I love how you say that because um, you know, I, I, I'm not an instructor, but I've taught my, fir my fair share of first time shooters, right? You know, I go through, I just try to make sure that you don't kill yourself or somebody else that you're safe. Now go learn from someone who actually knows what you're dealing with because they don't understand that the whole physics of your hand, right? You know, they're like, I don't understand why the shots, you know, low and to the left, I'm like, you get, I, I got a firm grip and they don't understand that, you know, that whole thing of squeezing that trigger, they're squeezing their hand. Sympathetic. I go, and I'll tell them, I'll go, you know, hold the gun. You know, we'll have it unloaded. I'll hold the gun and squeeze your fingers and see what happens. And they go, it goes low left. I'm like, 
that's what's happening. You know, um, you need to you need to have a firm grip, but you need to learn just to control this and then have your support hand to try to, you know, lock that out for you. Sure. But now go now go learn from someone who can actually teach you. <laughs> you know, right. well, like, like, like some people, if you wanted to lock a coin, say a quarter into a vice, and you wanted to be as stable as it could be, would you turn it on its edge to where the vice is trying to collapse the edge, or would you put it flat to where the vice is going to try to collapse on the flat surface? Well, yeah. obviously, if you want stability, you want that on the flat surface. Well, pistol exactly. grips are the same way. You've got a narrow surface, and you've got a wide surface. So if you grip this from front to back, you're doing the same thing that that vice does to that coin makes it unstable. So you want to grip from side to side and you use the fingertips of your support hand and the palm of your support hand to make that squeeze from side to side. So you put the pressure on the wide bearing surface, not the narrow bearing surface. So I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> so for you. I'm going to steal because I have never heard it explained in terms of a coin, right? I've always heard it. You, you know, you put your pressure on the sides, you know, push them. That whole coin analogy is got to be the greatest analogy I've heard about gripping a gun. Um, so I am totally going to steal that and give you credit for that one. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to use it. Anytime I make somebody a better shooter through anybody else, I'm still happy. <laughs> <laughs> because um, I, it's, it's so funny. It, it, because everybody can picture a coin in a vice, right? Whether you're a machinist or not, sure. everybody's seen a vice and everybody's seen a coin. Um, you know that you would, you, you, your analogy just works perfect for that. I absolutely love that. Um, so now, you know, we've been talking and you showed off the cool fire there, which probably most people from the audience knows you from cool fire. Um, I'm a big advocate for dry fire. I mean, there's, there's no replacement for live fire, right? Absolutely. I mean, dry fire, dry fire is good, but it's no replacement for live fire. Mm -hmm. But talk a little bit about live fire um, or, or dry fire. You know, how that works into, you know, being a better shooter. Sure. Well, you know, dry fire is coin of the round, right? Um, we're living in a time when ammunition availability and, and supply and cost is all prohibitive from massive amounts of live fire training. Uh, even if you have an unlimited ammunition budget, just the availability sometimes is a problem getting it. at this point. Yeah. So ingraining skills can be done without using a single cartridge. Things like how to draw the gun, how to reload the firearm, transitioning from one target to another, and how your eyes move and how your sights track from target to target. All these things are things that can be done at home with no ammunition, um, that don't cost you a single penny. No, no range fees, no memberships, no ammunition. You can do these things at home. So if you're a shooter that's shooting 5,000 rounds a year of live ammo, you, you should be doing 50,000 dry fire cycles a year to keep your skill set ingrained and enhanced without costing the, 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 the time and the money that comes into live fire practice. And like you said, nothing will replace live fire practice. That's where... You take all that you've done and you prove to yourself that it's working. That's how that goes. This is the proof. The proof that what you're doing is actually working is the live fire training. But you can align your sights, prep your trigger, and break a single shot without a single cartridge and watch your front sight through the entire process and know whether you press the trigger 
correctly or not. Now, dry fire has some limitations and it has a little bit of some negative connotations depending on what you want to do. Um, first off, we can get very, very relaxed with our grip if we dry fire because we don't have to fight recoil. Yep. And the more relaxed your grip, the better trigger control you have. It, it's, I mean, that's just a, a natural thing. Yeah. But the less you grip the gun, the less recoil control you have, which means follow-up shots become much slower, much harder to do. So if you're gripping the gun only in dry fire and you're not shooting live ammunition to remind yourself of what that grip pressure has to be in order to control the gun and recoil, well, that can develop a bit of a training scar. The other thing is, unless you're shooting a double action only type gun, revolver, DAO, semi-automatic, you're going to get one trigger press and after that, yeah. so if I'm going to do traditional dry fire, I'm going to draw the gun, I'm going to line up my sights, I'm going to control the trigger and I'm going to go click. I'm going to hold the trigger to the rear, which I would never do. I'm going to work the slide. I'm going to reset the trigger, realign my sights and click. So what I've just taught myself to do here is I've taught myself to hold the trigger to the rear, which I do not do. And I've taught myself to not realign my sights, but to take my eyes off the sight so that I can reset my action, reset my trigger. So that's a training scar. And I've tried a little bit of every type of training tool on the planet as far as airsoft and and laser cartridges inside the barrel and all that, because quite frankly, I didn't have the time or the money to shoot the amount of ammunition that I needed to. You know, at one point in time, for me to go to the range, it takes 30 minutes to get to the range, 30 minutes to set up, two hours to shoot, 30 minutes to an hour to clean up, pick up brass, grab all my targets, drive back home, unload it into the garage, throw my brass in the tumbler so I can reload, clean my gun, I mean, this is a four or five hour investment of my day that oftentimes I just didn't have. Right. So I got introduced to Cool Fire actually before I went to work for them. And I thought to myself, you know, I wish I'd had this back when I was shooting 30 or 40,000 rounds a year. Because yeah. like I said earlier, the, the most important thing about maintaining marksmanship and accuracy is how you control the trigger. And how I control the trigger in recoil because I reset my trigger and prep it for the next shot while the gun's in recoil. Well, the only way I could ever find to practice that with my gun is to go put ammunition in it and shoot it. Yeah. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with Cool Fire, this is a barrel and recoil spring replacement for a live firearm. Um, they are firearm specific, so they don't make them for everything. I mean, I'm sorry if you're a SIG 365 shooter, they don't have one yet. Uh, and I say, yeah, because I know they're working on it. But for most of your mid-size, full-size type guns, over 300 models, you can get this barrel to where you just field strip your gun, replace your live barrel and spring with a cool fire barrel and spring. It's good because it, it charges off CO2. And now every time you press, your firing pin is going to activate a valve that allows the cool fire piston to push the slide to the rear and give you simulated recoil, trigger reset, side interruption, the same things that you have happen when you go shoot live ammunition. So now that all important reset the trigger, realign the sights, what I call the fifth fundamental of marksmanship, which is follow through, because that's what follow through is, is reset the trigger, realign the sights. That was the one thing you could never practice in traditional dry fire. And with cool fire, you can practice follow through, which is crucial to making accurate follow-up shots. So 
if you're interested at all in that, you can always contact me at, at the shop. You can contact Cool Fire Trainer Direct. They sell direct. They sell through dealer networks. Um, I, I, I think they're even available at places like Optics Planet. So there, there's places you can go to look into more information about that. I've got a great training series, uh, series on YouTube, Cool Fire Trainer Academy, that shows how I use Cool Fire Trainer in my dry fire techniques. So if, if you really want to step up the, the dry fire game, that's, that's going to be your best bet. It's the most, it's probably the most underutilized dry fire training tool on the market right now. It's just not known because it's fairly new, but it will revolutionize how you dry fire practice because it allows you to cover all your fundamentals of marksmanship for a couple of cents a shot that you can do at home with a barrel that is impossible to introduce live ammunition to. So you couldn't have a negligent discharge, even if you got ammo in the scenario. And that's, and that's kind of the cool thing because, you know, cool fire is definitely one of the things that's on, on my bucket list for dry fire. I do a lot of dry fire. Uh, for me, I've got bad knees. I have um, problems with the, the tendons in my legs and stuff like that. So I, I do a lot of physical therapy at home. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of shuffling side by side and, and steps and doing side steps and stuff like that. Well, you know, behind the camera there is my targets up on the wall for my dry fire. Um, but that's one of the problems I have is that squeeze and I'm racking you know, as I'm moving. I'm, I, you know, right now it's become muscle memory to rack, but that's the follow-up shot is what I'm missing. Right. Sure. Um, and that's what drives me nuts. And that's what I always thought Cool Fire was, was well, cool for, right? Um, it, they solved that problem. And then you get to actually use, you know, for me, you, you held up a P, uh, P320. Mm -hmm. uh, is that an M17 or? Well, actually, it's, it, it's a custom. Uh... Okay. So, so I compete with a P320X5. So basically right. that gun right there just you know, production model. Um, and I can get that, that barrel for that gun. And, you know, that's, I, I can get all my, my work in that way. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, the, the one thing I really like dry fire for, even if you can't manipulate the slide is again, if let's just say you can't find a range that allows you to draw from holster, right? Do it at home. Absolutely. Right. Or even if you have a range that does let you draw from holster, do it from home, <laughs> you know, get, start working through that stuff, start working through, you know, um, through that dry fire. There's so many different solutions out there. Like I like the cool fire because of the, of the, the slide reciprocates. You can get the option for the laser in the front. So that way you can see where your shot goes, whatever solution you use, start, start working with it and then start upgrading. Like for me, I'm a very big fan of Mantis products. Mm -hmm. I love Mantis products. But even in like their uh, the X5 that I use on on my pistol, they even ha now have an option for CO2 guns. They do cool fire. So you put a cool fire in, and I can still use all of my stuff and still train. Yeah. And, and I get the cool feedback. Fire, Moser works with their academy software, the Mantis Training Academy software. Yes. So yes. Uh, a phenomenal software that doesn't break the bank that will store your hit information, give you shot split times, draw the first shot times, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, so there's really no reason not to train from home anymore, especially 
because of the you know ammunition shortage and expensive and all that stuff you know we need to start working you know as an industry we need to start working on how do we deal with this stuff and you know cool fire and all these other dry fire solutions are there that really people need to start looking at um it, it's it's uh, some amazing stuff out there you know i've i've had some I don't want to say arguments, but let's just say some spirited conversations um, on some of my videos where people are like, it's not live fire. No, it's not. I, I'm not. I'm never arguing. It's not mm -hmm. live fire. No. But let's use what we have, right? Sure. So, I mean, ultimately, you don't have to buy anything to dry fire, no. right? You can you just take the gun out and use it. Uh, there was. Um, one trick that I learned a long time ago with dry fire is put a quarter on your front sight, squeeze trigger, quarter falls, you got a problem, right? I mean, that, that you start working through your grip and your trigger control at that uh -huh. point. You don't have to spend a lot of money to start dry fire. So do, do dry fire, use the live fire to, to, you know, to verify your skills. Sure. And then get training where you need it. Right. Sure. If you just can't figure it out, go get some training. Well, you know, I'm a I'm a trust but verify kind of person. I always have yeah. that. Uh, and I really wanted to, if I was going to be the national sales director for Cool Fire, I wanted to put it to a test. I wanted to know, does this help? Does this hurt? Is it is it you know negative as far as advantages versus disadvantages? And it was pretty convenient my first year there, 2019. Um, I own my own business. Plus I was a sales director for them and, and just, you know, life in general, I had zero time budget for training. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go shoot my club level matches on Saturdays for my live fire. And I am not going to practice a single round with anything other than cool fire for this season. And I'm going to go to the national championship and I'm going to shoot and I'm going to see how I do in comparison to where I normally would be. So I put my money where my mouth was. I, I, I did less than 500 rounds of actual practice shooting in 2019. Now, that doesn't count my club-level matches that I shot. But, I mean, focused shooting. I'm going to go work on strong hand only today. I'm going to go work on weekend only. I'm going to work on target. I didn't do I didn't do any of that. I did five, less than 500 rounds for the entire year. But I did more than 50,000 cycles through my cool fire trainer and my 1911. And I went to the national championship and I pulled third master out of enhanced service pistol division at the national championship, which was about where I would have landed any other year. So I was able to cut my practice budget from 15,000 rounds to 500 rounds and still go and perform at a level that would let me compete with the best shooters on the planet at that sport. That's awesome. You see, and that's where people, you know, people need to get past this stigma. Um, let's practice practice is practice yes like we've said multiple times it's not live fire but still you know i get into these spirited conversations people like it's not live fire no well you can't learn you can't learn trigger control <laughs> you know um yeah. you can you people have been doing it for years um you know like i told you the quarter that's something i learned a long time ago you know you can still learn trigger control there's still things that you can learn from dry fire. And I think people need to start and you know start the, getting the, out of this. The fundamentals of putting a bullet on target where you want it are actually very, very simple. 
you know, align the sights, control the trigger. That's really all you have to do to put a bullet on the target where you want it. We do a trick at, uh, occasionally to, to prove a point. We'll hold the gun upside down, pull the trigger with our pinky yeah. to prove that as long as you align the sights and control the trigger, you can make an accurate shot. Now, you're not going to do fast follow-up shots or anything of the such, but I, I think Rob Latham said it best when he said shooting simple, it's just not easy. And that's why you got to get into people's minds. I can tell you everything you need to know to shoot fast and accurate in five minutes. But mastering those skill sets that I can tell you in five minutes is going to take forever. Yeah. Lifetime. <laughs> A lifetime. Yeah, it's like yeah. any it's like any other really difficult sport is there's no such thing as perfection. You can always be better. Yeah. Now I have one more question, but I want to follow up on that after I ask this one. Mm -hmm. Now, we, since we kind of opened up the whole cool fire, uh, the cool fire uh, can of worms, let's go here. Because right now you are, let's see here, of course. There we go. That's the stream. You're now working for. Guns of Glory. Guns of Glory. Sumi, Oklahoma, Kansas line. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about Guns of Glory. You know, if you, if you were outside of a major metropolitan area in Tulsa, having a good place to shoot was scarce. Maybe you were lucky. Maybe Uncle Bob had some acreage in a pond bank you could go out and play around with. But having really good, high-quality instructors with really good facilities, you would have to travel. You know, a major metropolitan area was your only choice. And Dan Dawson, he's the owner of, of Guns of Glory, uh, very much faith-based, very pro-military, very pro-law enforcement, uh, very pro-family, just a, a phenomenal human being. I can get counted as a blessing to be able to work with Dan uh, in, in creating the indoor and the outdoor ranges here. We do things a little differently as in instruction because we have certified firearms instructors, myself included, on staff every opening hour to where you can come and get training on your schedule, not ours. So you could literally see, Hey, my, my, my meeting canceled. I got two hours before I've got to be anything. I'm going to go and I'm going to pick up another skill set. And we do that here. Um, our outdoor range will probably be opening into June. I'm guessing I'm hoping we're firing out there before the 4th of July. Um, but we're going to invite as many adjunct instructors, well-known, vetted instructors to come and teach as we can possibly fill up classes for. I'm going to be doing a lot of instruction out there. The Defensive Shooting Academy, where I got my initial instruction and where I'm an instructor, is going to be hosting a, a lot of classes, I'm sure, in this facility. So it's, um, it's, it's a much more laid-back atmosphere and training than what you will get at some of the large academies but we're going to have some of the top talent in the nation teaching here. So I really look forward into building those programs, building the competition programs into our outdoor range, IDPA, USPSA, Steel Challenge. I've even got my ideas about a rimfire-only match to get people into action pistol-type nice. shooting. Uh, because let's face it, center fire ammunition is expensive and hard to find. Um, yep. So if you've got a rimfire pistol, semi-automatic revolver, and you've got three magazines or speed loaders, you'll have everything that you need to come to an action pistol match at Guns of Glory when we get started. So you can find out more information on our website, which is still a work in progress. We'll be posting training schedules and competition schedules and that kind of stuff as we go on. 
And for those of you watching or even listening on the podcast, I will have the link to the website in the description below. So that way you can just go right down there, click on it and go right to the web page. Now, I love that you're working on Rimfire because, yeah, I mean, I grew up on 22s, right? I mean, yeah. it's, I, I think a lot of people have. And um, I love 22. I still have the pistol I, I learned on. I learned on a Smith & Wesson 41. Oh, nice pistol. And it's a I love that pistol. It, it, it was lost. Uh, my father died years ago, and then uh, my mom moved, and we, we ended up losing this gun for a little bit. We, I eventually found it in my mom's basement. Um, and I, I must have oiled the heck out of this thing because there was, like, no rust to it after what? being missing. After being missing for, like, it was missing for, like, 15 years. <laughs> um, so... Um, one of the things I shoot out here in, at the club that I shoot at, we have um, the Simplify um, Challenge. So what it is, is it, it's it's a steel challenge shoot that's for the Simplify Fund to you know help uh, military. Uh, they, they now opened it up to also the America's Fund. So it's basically help um, disabled veterans. So it's a great shoot, great cause. Uh, one of the things I like is, you know, I'll go shoot that with uh, with my P320X5. And then for a few bucks more, I can shoot, I can add something else on. So I'll shoot um, rimfire irons. Mm -hmm. And um, for, for those of you who think that it's, you know, 22s are not a co competition gun, man, I'll, I don't know, man. I have, I enjoy shooting Steel Challenge. Ooh. I really, I really enjoy shooting Steel Challenge with 22. Um, it is. I mean, Steel Challenge is a fast-moving game to begin with. Sure. You do it. You do it with limited recoil, and you know that Smith and Wesson forty-one can sh shoot really fast. It does. Um, uh, you know, I I can get times way faster than I can off of my center file. So, so I love that you're opening up for rimfire because you know back when I started learning, there was no real rimfire competitions. It or was, if it was, it was bullseye only. If it was, yeah, exactly. It was bullseye only. So you, you were basically shooting, you know, minimum nine millimeter, right? Um, you're shooting nine millimeter or 45. Uh -huh. um, and I love that, you know, I, I think that if there was 22, you know, competitions for 22s, it wouldn't have taken me till I was 21 before I started competing. And then, you know, my father, he would have, he wouldn't have, you know, he started competing uh, a year later with me. Mm -hmm. We would have been doing that all along. Oh, absolutely. Um, we would have loved that. And, and I just love that you're opening up for 22s. Keep the match fees very affordable. Ammunition is exactly. more affordable. We're going to do everything, including reloads and staging magazines on tables. So you don't have to have holsters. You don't have to have magazine Ooh. pouches. Um, you know, we're, we're going to keep this really simple and really fun. And we're going to... That's the important part. It's oh, yeah. fun. It's got to be fun. Why else would you do it if it wasn't fun? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's how I got into competition. It was fun. I yeah. enjoyed it. Um, shot a lot of ammo, but it was fun. Uh, but no, that's, that's awesome. Because right now, you're what you're talking about kind of hits kind of the trifecta, right? I mean... You don't have to spend a lot of money. You can have fun and you can get into, you know, let's face it. It could be your gateway drug into something more, you know, 
some other competition. And every month I'm going to have six different courses of fire that you've never seen before that you don't have to set up and tear down. You just show up and shoot. <laughs> awesome. Man, you see, now, now I'm getting kind of jealous. You, you need to move to Montana, open up a range here for me just so I can shoot the competitions. Dad, don't tempt me. I love Montana. <laughs> <laughs> so for people like me, I've been shooting for 40 years. Um, why should someone, you know, who's been we'll say a seasoned shooter, why should they choose to seek out some additional training? Well, for like, a, like we've covered earlier, handgun training techniques evolve. And if you're not taking training, you're not going to see the evolved uh, techniques that may improve you as a shooter. And, and then most importantly is it is a perishable skill. The programming you see? to do what you want it to do is so crucial and the only way that you're really going to focus on new fundamentals and new techniques is to go out and practice new fundamentals and new techniques. And the best way to do that is about once a year, once every other year at the, at the outside, go seek some professional instruction, get you a couple of good solid days to make sure you haven't picked up any bad habits or forgotten what you were taught the last time and get some good hard focused firearms instruction attention to your detail to maintain your level of proficiency and to prevent you practicing in a manner to develop a bad habit because if you start to develop a bad habit that you practice for years and years and years it becomes a lot more permanent so if you go every year or two that's me <laughs> yeah if you go every year or two it helps you it helps you perhaps prevent you from ingraining that bad habit and not even know you're doing it. Yeah, and, and one thing I think of is, you know, I I think of now, um, you know, let's face it, my hands are not quite as steady as they were when I was younger. Um, that's one thing I like about getting some training, right? Because, you know, maybe there's something else I can do. I mean, you know, it's not that my shots are not hitting their target. It's just that, I mean, oh, I, when I hold my gun, um, plus I've also had two major shoulder surgeries, <laughs> which doesn't help either. You know, it's almost like for me, taking a training class with, a, with an instructor, it's almost like physical therapy for me, for mm -hmm. my sport. Because, yeah, now I'm, you know, my hands are not quite as, as, as strong as they used to be. You know, I'm starting to get a little bit of carpal tunnel. I've had two shoulder surgeries, all that stuff. Now I can sit there and talk to someone else that I, I can explain this stuff to them. And then they, they understand and they can help me get around. I mean, there are things that I've done. I've, I've resisted changing um, my support hand grip. Uh, someone worked with me on my support hand grip that now I can get that stability back into, into my grip. You know, now by holding the gun and focusing on my grip, I, that shake is not really there anymore. Um, so definitely, you know, don't be too proud to take training. I mean, like I said, I've been shooting for 40 or over 40 years and, very, uh, and I'm still learning and very subtle changes in your technique sometimes can make a huge difference, uh, yes. in how you grip the gun in how you position your arms when you shoot to help absorb the recoil. Um, I'm 46, I'm not as young as I used to be. Now, when I shoot heavy recoiling handguns, 45, and I shoot them a lot, you know, the, the tennis elbow starts to pop up, and yeah. how do I prevent this? And, and, you know, I have had to kind of, along the way, tweak and tune 
my shooting stance to make sure that I'm using my body's natural absorption uh, capabilities to not punish joints as much when I shoot, you know, because I'm back to shooting a lot more regularly than I was there for a few years, live ammo. And it's just, you learn techniques as you go as an instructor. Like I said, I've been doing this professionally 16 years, longer than that, but professionally 16 years. And not only have I changed in 16 years and the techniques have changed in 16 years, but my ability to relate to a specific issue and skill set has, has evolved as well. So now when I find people, uh, I, when I was in my 20s, I tell people focus on the front side. They're like, I can't. Yeah. I can't grasp that because I've got those perfect 20-year-old eyes. And now when people say, I can't see the top of my front side, it's just a big blur. I'm like, I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let, me, let me tell you what I do to try to get past that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I love that you say that because, you know, for me, um, I can't stand bifocals. Uh, you yeah. Know, I wear glasses. I've, I've worn glasses since, oh, gosh, third grade. Um, I can't stand bifocals. Like these glasses I have on now, uh, these are my close-up glasses because you know the computer screen is about an arm's width away from me mm-hmm. uh camera is just another four to six inches past that uh so i gotta read so and that's one of the things i have is so in my shooting glasses which um you know wearing glasses you gotta you know your your shooting glasses you gotta make sure that well you have your prescription in Absolutely. Um, and and like I said, I can't I don't like bifocals, they drive me nuts. So the problem I have is those are my long range glasses. And yeah, that front sight's just not quite as crisp as it used to be when I was younger. And my eyes did not need two prescriptions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, trust me, I know. I'm watching my draw to first shot time, you know, with each passing year dwindle just a little bit more because it takes me just that much longer to, to see my front sight clearly in the yep. down range. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. Yeah. It, your, your eyesight changing is a thing. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm going to have to thing. <laughs> so, Eric, how can people find you? I mean, you know, if they're interested in in taking a class or or visiting the range there, how do, how do people get in hold of you? Well, uh, GOGOK2A stands for the Guns of Glory Oklahoma Second Amendment. So the website that you're posted right there, there's an email address info that's going to come to me. It's going to come to one of my fellow instructors, Kai. We'll answer you back from there. Uh, phone numbers on the website. Feel free to give me a call. I'm here Monday through Friday. So if you happen to be driving through Bartlesville, Oklahoma, coming north, south, whatever, and you just want to stop in, see the pro shop, pick my brain, do some shooting, whatever, we're open Monday through Saturday from 10 to 7. So we have pretty good hours that allow that to be possible for you to come by. No appointment necessary. I'm typically here Monday through Friday. Kai's typically here on the weekends, who's another one of my fellow instructors with the Defensive Shooting Academy. We'll be happy to talk to you, answer any questions. Uh, and apart from just the firearms instruction side, I mean, I've been in the retail business for 25 years, too. So I'm an armor for Smith and Colt and, and 1911 platforms and Glock and uh, I've done gu- gun tuning, customization, and all that stuff for years. So if you have questions about a self-defense ca- uh, firearm, carry firearm, or even competition gun, 
it's probably something that I played with or at least know people that have. So I'm, I'm happy to help with any of those questions as well. Awesome. So we've been running about uh, an hour and 17 minutes here. I'd like to finish up with a speed round if you got some time. Yeah, let's go. All right. 40 Smith and Wesson or 10 millimeter? Well, that's going to depend on what you want to do. But my, my answer is always 10 millimeter. 40 caliber is an answer to a question that should have never been asked. <laughs> it's kind of like kind of like 45 gap. <laughs> exactly. How does Bob name on a cartridge? <laughs> so in shotguns, double barrel or pump action? Pump action. Reloading, Dylan Precision or RCBS? Dylan. For anything other than precision rifle. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Like I, I've loaded off of Dylan's for a long time. Yeah. Precision rifle is definitely going to be a single stage. Absolutely. Um, We're in agreement there. Yeah. Uh, indoor or outdoor range? Outdoor. Striker fired or single action? Ooh. Yeah, I knew I was going to get you on that one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know my go-to self-defense guns are still all striker-fired. Uh, my right. go-to competition guns favorites for marksmanship and target are all single action. But if you told me I could only have one, it'd probably be a striker gun. All right. So now I'm going to really make you conflicted because I'm going to give you two choices from Wilson Combat. Okay. 1911 or Beretta 92? 1911. I figured you would just just from the competition days, but I had to throw in because some people just don't know that you know Wilson Combat does a does a ninety two as well. Yeah, and and, I, and, and now a P three twenty. I run it. I run the three twenty and the Beretta in competitions, and I actually actually even have a um, Vertec Centurion from Wilson Combat that I use as occasional carry gun. It's phenomenal. It's funny. So, so that since you brought the the Vertec out, um, we have so you know again. Don't don't judge me for the forty cal. <laughs> but back when I was a dealer, we uh, we had a chance to pick up a couple of Beretta ninety six Vertecs. Yeah, um, they were uh, they were um, Pennsylvania State Police trade ins, and uh, for those who don't understand the Vertec grip. Well, just buy a brand new, you know, M9, what, eight, is it the A3 they switched over to the Vertec? Once you grab one of those things, if you are a 1911 shooter, you will know how to work that gun. Absolutely. Um, that, that was one of the greatest things. And it's like that Vertec thing, Beretta came out with it and it went away. It came, it came out with it, went away. And then now it's, it's back and it looks like it's back to stay. Absolutely. So teaching or learning? For me, teaching, seeing that light bulb flick, flicker, is a, it's a high that I can't do without. All right. For the final question, if you could have any firearm from World War II, what would you take? The sniper version 1903 <laughs> would probably be my take. The one with the, fact, like that. the optic. All that stuff. Uh, my grandfather was in World War II when he went through basic training. The 03 was all they had, 
And of course, back then they had to shoot 500 yards with iron sights, which he thought was impossible. And he learned that it wasn't. And in his eyes, the 1903 was the finest rifle that was ever built by, by the hands of man at the time. So yeah, just in honor of my grandfather, probably a 1903 sniper version. That's awesome. Uh, I have yet to have someone come up with an 03. Um, and I love, I love the O3s. Yeah. Um, those are, those are great bolt action rifles. Absolutely. I mean, it's just the classic bolt action for that thing. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, hey, it, it's really me. been an honor having you on and, and talking to you again. And, um, you know, if you have anything in the future you want to jump on, just, just let me know. I'd be happy to have you back. All right. Well, we'll have to work out some kind of a trade where you come down here and shoot and I go up there and trout fish or something. There you go. There's, 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 there's no fishing in Montana, right? Oh, of course not. <laughs> or hunting or anything else. Or hunting or anything. Yeah, there's, there's no outdoor industry in Montana at all. Everybody just comes here to stay inside. Keep that hidden. Yeah, that's right. Sounds great. Well, thanks for joining me again today. You bet. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Eric is a super nice guy. Um, you know, when I met him down at SHOT Show, I believe it was Thursday of SHOT Show. So SHOT Show ends on a Friday. It's Tuesday through Friday. And both of us were losing our voice, right? Um, it was one of those things is we've been talking for days. And... Uh, I remember talking to him. My throat was really hoarse. Um, those of you who've heard or, or seen any of my videos after SHOT Show know that um, I had lost my voice. Uh, but it was so funny talking to him because it's like, I'm like, have a cough drop. Like, pop a cough drop. And he's popping a cough drop as we're talking, trying to just you know keep our throats from you know, being completely dried out. And um, I had a great time talking to him. I asked him if he'd come on the podcast, and he had told me that he'd love to come on the podcast. It's just that when he came on the podcast, he wasn't going to be a cool fire employee when he did because he was moving on. And I'm like, that's cool. He gave me his personal contact info, and it's so great to catch up with him. I can't stress enough how important it is to get some training. Right? Go find a trainer, but find a good one. I've seen good ones. I've seen bad ones. And it, during the podcast, we've talked about um, how to find good ones versus bad ones. Go find a trainer. Learn. When you're done, practice. We talked a lot about dry fire. There's so many different dry fire solutions. I love the cool fire solution right now. I just can't afford one. But one day I'm going to have a cool fire. I know I am because I do a lot of dry fire shooting. And then reinforce that training, that dry fire training and the training you got from the instructor with live fire, right? So go learn from the instructor, practice it with dry fire, reinforce it with live fire. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there and look forward to talking to you again soon.